When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 519 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. We are here to talk NBA draft. I am joined by Jason Evans. What's up, Jason? It is Father's Day, Sam, and my entire family is still asleep. I am the only one who's awake. Uh, this this feels wrong. They should be making me breakfast in bed or something. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm upset or anything, but I'm a little disappointed. Uh, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Happy Father's Day to my dad, who, uh, despite my telling him that he should listen to the show, still does not listen to the show. So that's that. And by the way, it's almost 11 o'clock on the East Coast. So <laughs> your your family has an amazing talent for staying asleep. I couldn't possibly stay asleep this long, no matter what day of the week it was. So enjoy the enjoy the peace and quiet. Uh, not peace and quiet around... Uh, around NBA front offices this week because it is the NBA draft. The finals wrapped up. Uh, I don't think I, we talked about this yet. I was in Denver this past week and oh, wow. was yeah. was in the city on Monday night when uh, when the Nuggets clinched the finals. I, I watched the game at a, at a bar with some friends. And uh, I know there were some images that came out about the parade and how there, there were no Denver fans uh, at the parade. I wasn't in town for the parade, but I was there on Monday night, and uh, it was insane uh, in in Lower Downtown that night. Uh, I was maybe like 30 feet from one very large firework that got set off, and we saw it. We saw the guy lighting it and then running away, and we were like, oh, no, we have to get away from this place. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, and congratulations to the Nuggets, and congratulations to Jack White, who gets an NBA ring. I don't think he played in the finals. Uh, I don't think he was necessarily on the roster, but he was on the two-way contract this year, which means he gets a ring. He was there. Marty Poshis, who works for the Nuggets, uh, gets a ring. He's he's a, he's a scout. He's a key member of the front office. And then one other thing, I think, Jason, before we get to NBA draft, the news this week that Mike Dunleavy yes. has been appointed GM of the Warriors. Uh, what a what a huge new job for a, a Duke guy who who we all love and cherish. Yeah, uh, Dunleavy had been assistant GM then uh, GM there at, at Golden State. He was Bob Myers' sort of right-hand man for the past several years. And with Myers deciding that he's sort of done um, a very, very, very successful run, uh, Bob Myers' uh, hand is uh, is full of championship rings all over it. Uh, Mike Dunleavy now gets a chance. And, and it's a really interesting situation for him to be in because – you know, obviously that Warriors team has a amazing, remarkable talent on it, but it is an aging team and it'll be Dunleavy's job to transition, uh, you know, while, while still keeping them a as a title contender. I believe they're still, anytime you got Steph Curry on your roster, you're a title contender. So uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see how he begins to shape and remake that roster. And, and yeah, a, a huge deal for him. And I'm glad you shouted out 
Marty Poshis and Jack White. There was a great photo of the two of them celebrating together. Yeah, they had their goggles on because they're getting showered in the champagne. Uh, it's really great that more and more Dukies getting rings is a is a really good thing. And with the number of guys we have in the NBA, uh, Jack is uh, not going to be the last one. That's for sure. Right. And so speaking of the way that Mike Dunleavy is going to have to uh, continue the job of his predecessor in keeping the Warriors at or near the top of the NBA, the NBA draft this week. And as is our tradition here on the program, uh, we have to bring in a guest, a very special guest to talk NBA draft. So let's bring him in right now. All right, Duke fans, we are joined now by a guest who we've had, I don't know how many times we've had him on the show here, uh, but he might be uh, alongside Kenny Denard, probably probably our most frequent guest on the program. Uh, he's Duke legend. He's ESPN legend. He's Jay Billis. Jay, thanks so much for coming back on what is now called the Duke Basketball Roundup, uh, a, a name change that we unfortunately had to go through recently, but great to have you on again. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Excellent. All right. So let's get into uh, some NBA draft topics. And and we want to start with one of the guys who's coming from Duke. Uh, that's Dariq Whitehead, a player who coming into last season, I think Duke fans had all the expectations for at both ends of the court. Injuries, I think, predominantly robbed him of the season that Duke fans were hoping for. Um but maybe the general question first, headed into the draft, what are you uh, sort of expecting from Whitehead in his first couple of years in the NBA, knowing how challenging a time he had in his one season in college? Well, I think the one season in college is just one variable. Um, you know, he had a foot injury that made it difficult for him to get off to a good start. Uh, he didn't have, uh, what does Coach K call it? Continuity. He didn't have the continuity uh, to go into the season. And, you know, that's difficult for anybody, let alone an 18 year old player. But I think with the draft, you're not necessarily looking at, okay, where's the productivity now you're looking for the productivity and the potential in the future. And Derek Whitehead has that. Uh, I mean, he was a top 10 player coming out of high school and he was that for a reason because he's got, uh, great tools and, you know, athleticism and length and uh, and he can shoot it. And in this draft, uh, the shooting piece is going to be a big one uh, because there are a number of top prospects that are missing that piece. Uh, he's not. He, he can he can stretch the floor and he's got great range and uh, he's big and strong and still just 18. So when he puts the puts the ball on the floor, he's not a great he didn't prove to be a great finisher in the time that he played last year. I think he only shot about 43, 44 percent around the rim. But his uh, uh, his shooting is uh, is the most attractive thing about him. He can he can really shoot it and both catch and shoot situations. Uh, he's a bucket getter uh, on the perimeter. Um, but with his length and athleticism and and frame, uh, he's a very attractive prospect uh, for the, the first round. I don't think he'll be taken in the lottery, but I think toward the end of the first round, uh, you're going to hear his name called. Um, high school, it's interesting that Whitehead did not come out as a prospect, as a great shooter. It feels like he he sort of developed that through the injuries this past year at Duke. Uh, meanwhile, the athleticism in, in high school seemed to, to prop him up. There was a lot of talk about how good he was going to be on defense. So the version of Whitehead that we saw at Duke 
granted in, in less time than we anticipated, was kind of different than the version of the player that I think John Shire was recruiting in high school. So how does that kind of change the the calculus on him now that he has the shooting and, and what you're talking about, the expectation that he's going to return to form in other ways that we didn't see this past year? Well, I understood him to be a good shooter in high school. Um, I'm not saying that his reputation was he's Steph Curry or anything, but he could shoot it. And so that wasn't an issue for me. I can't speak to what, you know, other people thought. But um, look, the the up and down nature of his season is one thing. It raises some question marks for people who only saw him in that. But uh, But again, you know, you go back to projecting him out. He projects out really well. And nobody's saying that he's going to be, um, you know, he's he's worthy of, of, as a prospect, worthy of a top 10 pick. But, you know, how many guys have we seen taken in the 20s that have turned out to be all-stars and, and outstanding, outstanding players? He's got, a, he's got a lot of runway in front of him to, to get better. He's only 18, you know, soon to be 19 years old. So um, uh, it, it's just how he projects. And I think he's got the ability to be a, a, a very good defender. Um, you know, and part of the part of, you know, your question marks about him as a defender was he didn't have a lot of time last year. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to improve as a defender or learn how to do it by sitting there watching. And he spent more time watching than he did playing last year. And that includes practice. In the workouts that he's gotten to go through this spring heading into the draft, uh, any improvements that that you've seen from that? It feels like there could be a lot of of upward trajectory given how little time he had during the season to to improve. It was mostly about him getting healthy and getting back on the floor. Yeah, those are the biggest question marks. You know, him getting healthy and uh, are are injuries going to be a long term problem? I don't know that to be the case, and I don't know anybody that said that. But those are medical decisions that that. Um, that teams rely on their medical staffs to, to red flag certain things. And I haven't heard anything about that. And usually you don't, um, you don't hear much about that stuff. That's mostly kept private um, as to workouts. I mean, workouts are of, of value certainly, but they're of limited value uh, because most of them are one on O and, and all that stuff. So you can, you can see certain things, um, but you can't get too carried away one way or the other with uh, with pre-draft workouts. A lot of it, uh, to my understanding, has to do with uh, with personality, you know, getting a feel for the particular player. Uh, look, they've got all the film. They've seen them a hundred times um, and seen all these players. Uh, but it's still, you know, as much as we like to think that we know, we don't know. And most talent evaluators will tell you that. You know, you, you, have, you make judgments and you... I guess hopefully educated, educated judgments, but you don't know. Otherwise, otherwise all these picks would be in proper order every year. And they never are. There, there's, there's things you just can't, you can't put your finger on. And it happens at every sport. You know, we see it in football too. They get five years to look at those guys usually. And, uh, and still mistakes are made and uh, mistakes are made in basketball every year. Who's a, a current NBA player that you think uh, Whitehead, you know, projects to look like on the upside. I am not a good comparison guy. I, 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 I tend to go with, with body style, what they look like. And then I always get screwed up in that. I've never been good at that. Like this guy reminds me of Jason Kidd. You know, it's, it's to me, those things never work particularly well. Um, but what does work 
is is uh, you know how they stack up with length and athleticism and things like that. There there is a there is a it's not a formula, but you can look and say, okay, this type of player has traditionally done well. And, and with his length, he's got a, I think it's a six eleven wingspan. Uh, he's got a very good frame. Uh, he's an athletic player that I think it, he does not, he did not show last year sort of what you self-creation. He, he doesn't, he didn't create a lot of his own shots. Um, but, but, you know, not every NBA, NBA team is looking for that. It's great when you get it, but, but being a valuable piece is important. And the fact that he can stretch the floor and shoot it and has the size and length and all that stuff is a, those are all tremendous positives for Derek Whitehead. All right. Let's get a prediction, Jay. Uh, we're, we're thinking that Whitehead is going to go somewhere around 25th. You think he's going over under or right, right at that spot in the draft uh, this week. He would probably be in the right at or over. Um, but but you never know. I mean, it, somebody could take him at it, it. Those are range things to me. I mean, I, it's it's I usually look at it. You know, he, he's in the range of ten to fifteen or something like that. Um, you know, I, it, some teams down there look for fit. Uh, a lot of them look for best available player, things like that. So it's it's hard to know and it's hard to hard to peg those kind of things. But but he, I think he will go in the first round. But it wouldn't shock me if he went, you know, 32nd or something like that. He could go 22. He could go 32. Uh, Jay, I want to pivot and talk about a couple Duke topics, uh, at least on this episode. So one of the most interesting things I think that Duke fans are thinking about this summer is how much talent not has left for the NBA has, has been mostly the story in recent years, but how much is coming back. So in Kyle Filipowski, Jeremy Roach, Mark Mitchell and Tyrese Proctor. Duke has four guys returning who, even if they were relatively quick to announce that they were returning to school, all had some hopes of or, or prospects for turning pro this year. Um, so which of those guys do you think has the best opportunity to improve their draft stock coming back for the 23-24 season? Probably Filipowski and, uh, and Proctor. Um, I think Proc Proctor's the youngest and shows a ton of promise as a, as an NBA guard in the future. Um, you know, he's got a great feel and, um, and, you know, he's got all the measurables and I think as he gets older and more mature, he's only going to get better. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think Filipowski's a, uh, you know, he probably would have gone in the first round this year, you know, late first round. So he could certainly improve, you know, if you want to call it stock, you know, he could go higher in the next year. I think one of the the nice things for players now is uh, you can make money in college. So um, it, it seems like the the rush, uh, if you want to call it that, to to leave is not it, the pull isn't as great as perhaps it was unless you're a a surefire lottery pick or or top ten pick something like that. Um, because we've seen a lot of players, not just Duke guys, a lot of players, you know, leave early in the past when, you know, your, your feel was, you know, are you ready and uh, ready for that, that life and, uh, and life in the NBA. Uh, and some of them are ready and some of them are not, but, you know, just because they're not ready initially, doesn't mean they're not going to be ready another year, all that stuff. Um, Cause there's no time clock on this thing. 
but uh, you know, I was told Filipowski just didn't want to go right now. You know, he's he's happy where he is, and um, you know, I think Roach was a fringe draft pick, um, and uh, and you know, Proctor's still really young, uh, and and Mitchell's got still got a lot of developing to do. So why not do that in college? I mean, I I don't know all their individual reasons, but my sense is that the the decisions were quite different for each player. Uh, but the fact that they can. You know, there's one other variable now that didn't exist uh, five, four, five, three, four, five years ago, and that's making money. And I think that's a really good thing, uh, not only for the financial literacy of any athlete, but uh, also that, uh, you know, for those that believe in education, how could you argue they're staying in school? So isn't that a positive? I mean, that's what everybody says they want and they're getting it. So how could how could anybody complain about that? How does John Shire or, or any other coach that's sort of dealing with this change in, you know, specifically, it, it's really like a it's a recruiting change because normally John Shire would go to a high school prospect like a like a Sean Stewart and say, look, there's a space for you next year on the team because these guys are planning to leave that, you know, that that projection now is a little bit different because you have the possibility that so many of these guys come back. So how does that change the job for the head coach? in roster construction during the season when they're when they're finalizing you know which prospects are taking the offers and then and then in the spring when guys are making nba draft decisions it's the of all the problems that a coach could have this is the best problem to have you know sort of boy i have to let our incoming guys know that there's going to be a little more competition and they can make their decisions accordingly um, but when you have people coming back, I think you'd rather have the experience coming back than worry about whether your recruits are going to stay. Um, and, and by all accounts, everybody is, uh, is sticking with their, their plan, their commitments. Um, so, you know, look, the easy thing to say is, Hey, if you're, you're a competitor, come in and compete. Uh, that's not always palatable to an individual player, but because everybody wants to play right away. And I get that. Um, but these, the, you know, those decisions were the same years ago. Um, you know, when you had uh, a player or two ahead of you uh, that were juniors and seniors are coming in as a freshman, maybe you go somewhere else that doesn't have that and you play right away. Um, it, I, I'm not sure that's changed that much. But what has changed is when the buzzer goes off in your final game, you're recruiting your current players and having conversations you didn't used to have to have. And you're still having conversations with your incoming players, which were also decisions you did, conversations you didn't have to have years ago. So it's an added, um, added, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. You'd call it a burden if you want to look at it that way, but it's just part of the job now. And I think the younger coaches are doing a lot better with it than the older ones. Uh, but, you know, they, they know this has changed and it's not going to change back. So they're, they're just, they're dealing with it as part of their jobs. Uh, the older guys are looking at it. I didn't have to do this years ago and I don't like it. Uh, that, 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 that's just the province of being older. We all complain about the way things used to be and the way they are now. Uh, but nobody seems to do it louder than college basketball coaches, but yeah, everybody's adjusting. Uh, it's really not that big of a deal. Jay, we're going to, we're going to end it there for this episode. We'll be back, uh, with, with Jay Billis later this week to talk, uh, Derek Lively and and some other NBA draft topics. So we're going to take a quick break. 
uh, on the back end, we'll we'll have a bit of reaction uh, to Jay's discussion here. So uh, thanks so much, Jay, and we'll talk to you again in a couple days. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes. Mindless work. Pop it in the microwave. Do what you need to do. And it's ready to eat. No more cooking. No more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right. So head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code DukeBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. So thanks to Jay Billis for being here and talking NBA draft with us. Uh, I referred to it, I think, during the interview, but uh, today we only talked Derek Whitehead. Jay will be back with us in a day or two to talk about Derek Lively and some other NBA draft topics. But before we go today, Jason, let me get your reaction to Jay's comments about Derek Whitehead and then, and then maybe a little bit uh, of his thoughts on the Duke roster for next season. Jay is obviously an expert, so there's not a lot I'm going to add to what he said about Dariq Whitehead. I think he's, I think he's right. You know, there's some risk that Dariq Whitehead maybe slips to the beginning of the second round as opposed to going, you know, in the 20s. I don't think there's a huge chance that Whitehead's going to go higher than 20. This draft is a, you know, it's a really interesting draft, Sam. There's, there are not a lot of big men. You know, there's obviously Victor Weminyama, there's Derek Lively. Uh, there's Brandon Miller, who I guess maybe projects as a power forward, but most of the rest of the first round are guys who project as guards and wings. It's just a draft full of guys who aren't, you know, aren't traditional big men. And, you know, part of that is obviously that the NBA values that kind of player more than it values, uh, you know, bigger players. But at the same time, it means there's just a ton of guys who feel at least somewhat similar to Dariq Whitehead. And so it's really hard to project, you know, could a team at 15, 17, maybe 20 fall in love with Dariq Whitehead and just say, he's our guy. Yeah, absolutely. But could he still be sitting there as we enter the first few picks of the, of the second round? That's also entirely possible. It, it's super hard to project because like I said, there are just so many guys that are so similar. And, and I think it depends. Jay hit on this a little bit. I think for Whitehead, it really depends on whether teams are convinced he can become the explosive, athletic uh, player that he was in high school, 
or if they if they think they're just getting an elite shooter. And look, being an elite shooter is enough in the modern NBA. But if they think they can get a little bit more than that out of Dreek Whitehead, that's where you see a team elevating him above all this slew of other guys who are similar kind of players. Right now, CBS has uh, on their mock draft from yesterday or from this morning, they've got Dreek Whitehead going 16th, uh, which you know is, is higher than, than than we're sort of thinking. But uh, but you know that that's coming from from uh, guys who are, who are looking at this more closely than we are. And to your point. Jason, they've got Dariq Whitehead followed by Jaime Jaquez and Grady Dick right after him. Two guys who have very similar bodies. Not all of them are are, are the same type of player. But to your point, there are there are so many guys in this draft who are uh, who are this kind of midsize uh, outside in type of player. Um, guys who can shoot. Guys who should be able to play some defense. So I am sure that that all these teams who are picking are, are having a really hard time separating which ones actually stand out to them from a projectability standpoint. Yeah, Sam, if you look at mock drafts, and and, and there's some of them that include a position. I, I like that, where they, you know, sort of they're projecting, oh, this is where, this you know, here are the guys who are going to go, and here's the positions they're going to play. Look down through the mock draft and see how many guys are projected as centers. There are really only two of them in the first round, Weminyama and Derek Lively. And then look at how many guys are projected as power forwards. They're like maybe two or three of those, the entire rest of the draft. 25 of the guys in the first round are going to be projected as point guards, shooting guards, or small forwards. It's it's kind of crazy. And calling, I know we're, we're going to talk about Victor Wenbanyama a little bit more when we talk to Jay in a, in a couple of days, but calling Victor Wenbanyama as a center is kind of doing a disservice. Yeah, exactly. To the, to the, so like, like Derek Lively is really the only center who is projected to, to go in the first round. Uh, Wenbanyama just happens to be, you know, a giant among giants. So... Uh, yeah, I I I, uh, I thought Jay had a pretty sober take on on Dariq Whitehead that you know we're we're not trying to overreact. NBA GMs are not trying to overreact to his one year in college. They know that there are things that he's getting better at. They know that he showed flashes of it at the end of the season. That that the projectability is still there. The the version of Whitehead that we saw in high school was starting to reemerge uh, at the end of the season. And and so I am very curious to hear what. You know, whoever ends up drafting Whitehead, what they say, you know, post uh, post picking him, you know, getting him into camp about, you know, how much they saw he how how much he improved from, let's say, March 1st of 2023 until until draft time and then going forward into the summer. You can kind of see all outcomes for Whitehead, like there's a world in which he's sort of shuttling back and forth between the between the G League and and the NBA this season, depending on how healthy he is, but you could also see him. I think if he's if he's fully healthy and if he's if he's totally locked in, he could be like a borderline starter for an NBA team this year. And sort of none of that would surprise me. And it's mostly around his health as opposed to you know any of his like skill development. Well, and when you talk about his health, it's worth noting he had another surgery fairly recently on, on his foot, I believe. And as a result, the expectation is he's not going to play in the NBA Summer League. They say he'll be ready by training camp, but that he won't be able to play in the NBA Summer League. Look, I think any NBA team taking him is taking a little bit of a risk. Uh, you know, it, he's a guy who we've now seen, you know, we're going to see more than a year of him missing time for various injuries, not the same injury, you know, 
uh, but for various injuries, none of them super, you know, debilitating, but, you know, just nagging kind of stuff that, that really saps your ability to be explosive. So that NBA team is taking a risk, but the upside is unbelievable because, because this is a guy who at one point was projected as a top five NBA draft pick. And that was before we saw him be the lights out shooter from, from three point range that he was at Duke. So, you know, if you're telling me that a guy who who is going to be a top five pick based on his athleticism, based on his defense, based on his creativity with the ball has added a three point shot. I'm like, well, yes, please. (laughs) I want that for my team. But, but now we have this injury question and that's, that's the big thing hanging over Whitehead's head. One other thing we talked about with Jay there right before the break was sort of state of the program stuff regarding guys coming back and and how John Shire is managing the roster. I I thought the most interesting thing is that Jay sort of pointed out that this is the the problem that John Shire would like to have. Yeah, that there's sort of <laughs> there's like there's too many guys coming back and 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 too many guys committed, and so now what do we what do we do with that? And and around that answer he said you know it, it, it's easy to say well good problem for the coach lights the fire under all the players uh to to get them to work harder to earn the minutes but there's also the flip side of you know each of these players sort of knows what their development path looks like or has a good idea of what their development path looks like and needs minutes on the court you know during real games during games that count to prove that what they've been working on is is coming to fruition and to to hone those skills for the next level. So uh, Jason, did you have any reaction to Jay's comments about that and the way that John Shire has to think about roster construction and not just John Shire, but, but any coach in college basketball who is dealing with guys leaving for the NBA and trying to recruit four and five star talent? Yeah. I mean, you just got to communicate with everybody. So everyone understands and, and is happy in their role. I think the reality is if you are a really, you know, a high end talented player, you're, you're going to find time. It's going to, it's going to get there for you. Yeah. Oh, you know, maybe, maybe a Sean Stewart at Duke plays 15 to 20 minutes rather than playing 25 to 30 minutes at, at another school. But does that really make a huge, you know, still going to get significant time. He's still going to be playing in, in major games. And, and and clearly someone like, you know, and, there, and we could say this about almost every one of the guys that Duke has recruited for next year, they are they are clearly comfortable in their roles. Uh, otherwise, they would have opted to go someplace else. It's not like Duke would have blocked these kids from going somewhere else. And by the way, we're, I want to be clear, we're not talking specifically about Mackenzie and Baco here. And, and, and I don't want to get into any speculation about that. Uh, the, the two things I heard Jay say that I think are really interesting. The first one is a completely obvious thing, which is that name image and likeness and the fact that these guys can make some money while in college has changed the calculus. There's no question about that. I, I think that in all likelihood you would have seen Proctor um, and Filipowski and probably Mitchell and Roach all turning pro. If there was no NIL possibility, you know, it, it may not be millions. Look, we haven't, we're not getting to speculating about what Duke players are making from NIL. It may not be millions, but it's enough money that, that it, that it, you know, you can feel pretty good about making that in college as opposed to to making it in the NBA. So that was the first thing, you know, and it's more the obvious than, takeaway. Go ahead. Those guys are they're they're making more than any of their classmates are like reasonably projecting to make when they come out of school, and Absolutely. they're doing it while they're still in school. So 
uh, you know, put it in, yeah, and put it in like in, in in relatively normal people terms. Uh, and you know, Duke undergrads aren't even necessarily the the kids we would be talking about as like the normal kids. But right. uh, but but in those terms, yeah, you can see how I, I don't know whether you're making three hundred or five hundred or eight hundred thousand uh, dollars. Getting to do that while you're playing basketball at Duke and getting to be a college student seems like a pretty damn good deal to me. Yeah, I was going to say, and then the other the other thing, and it was almost an offhand comment from Jay, but we know Jay knows things about the program. He said Cal Filipowski just wanted to stick around for another year. And and I I really love that. There are a lot of these kids who are making calculations based on, okay, where's my draft stock? Where can I maximize my money? Where's my plan? You know, all, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that that wasn't a piece of Filipowski's uh, calculus here, but it sounded like sort of the main thing was Kyle was just like, yeah, I really enjoy playing at Duke. And I want to do it for another year. I, Doesn't that I, I, resonate I love with, that. with the way that Kyle Filipowski was telling us about that during his senior season when he committed, where he was like, yeah, I'm like looking at this as a multi-year thing. Like it's not even, yeah. it's not even totally on my radar that I could leave after a season. Granted that was before he nearly averaged a triple double as a freshman or, or a double double, right? Not triple double, right. but a double double as a freshman. So uh, I'm not sure that he anticipated his freshman season going as well as it did, but uh, yeah, pretty, pretty cool stuff. All right, Jason, let's get out of here on that. We'll be back in a couple days to talk uh, Derek Lively and some other NBA draft topics with Jay Billis. We'll certainly be back to talk NBA draft once it's happened and react to wherever we find that that Whitehead and Lively are going. We couldn't be joined by Donald today, uh, but uh, I'm sure we'll have him back very soon. Uh, he's fine. Don't worry. Everything's okay with Donald. So for Jason Evans, I am Sam Klein. For Donald Wine, who's not here. And for Jay Billis. And with great thanks to Jay Billis, yeah. uh, multi-time uh, guest here on the program. This has been episode 519 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That hasn't changed, even though some other stuff has. We'll talk to you again soon. Duke Band, take us home. Yeah.